Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, over the years, I've heard a lot of people, small business owners, and even some big companies talk about being ripped off by by corporations. Uh, um, I'm happy tonight to have a woman who wants to do something about it. Michelle Elizabeth is a CEO of Effortless Extensions, and she, she she's taken a stand against this. And uh, we're so glad to have her on the program. Welcome. Well, good. Thank you. Good evening. I'm very glad to be here. Well, we're going to start, Michelle, as we do with every guest, and ask a little bit about your uh, personal background before we go into anything else, because this is a topic I know uh, bothers a lot of people. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Um, actually, I started my company 11 years ago, and at that time, I was um, working as the director for human development. I've had many jobs over the years. I've been a military wife, and so moving around uh, gave me an opportunity to get quite a diversified portfolio, let's say. And um, I've always been an inventor, and this idea came to me, like I said, 11 years ago. And so I followed a course of what everyone had told me was the right way to go, which is get an idea and protect it, which I'm not saying is a bad idea. But um, that's kind of where my stand has come from 11 years later. Um, I Before we go further, Mm -hmm. let me just interrupt you. What is effortless extensions? What does it do? Effortless extensions are hair extensions that do not connect to the hair at all. I have accumulated 30 patents worldwide and it's on the it, their utility patents on the design and what it does is it slips on your head kind of like a headband would it has a clear monofilament on the top 
and you lift your hair up and over the top, leaving some of it underneath and some over the top so it sandwiches in between. And it's, it's held in by gravity. Um, the weight of the extensions coming down, I mean, I've swam in the Caribbean and ridden motorcycles and ridden four-wheelers and um, they they don't come out. And so this design um, is what we received our, like I said, we have 30 patents that are worldwide. Okay, but you're not here to talk about that. You're here to talk about right. something else. So now the platform is yours. Okay. Well, what I wanted to talk to everyone about is we did what we were told, um, which was protect our idea. So I hired patent attorneys and did everything that was required of us. We hired marketers and they also said, listen, your golden ticket for this item is getting yourself a patent. You've got to protect your your invention. So we did all of those things, and we spent over $300,000 in you know, the course of these last 11 years, quote, unquote, protecting ourselves. But in the meantime, what has happened is with any good idea, you're going to have companies come in and steal it. The hard thing is that we're given these patents by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Give you beautiful embossed covers and say, you know, we consider this a unique idea. But now it's up to you to protect it. Now, we paid for this. And unlike things that are copywritten and let's say um, when when a movie comes out and it's copied in a foreign country and DVDs are sold, um, you have government agencies that go in and will shut these places down and take them away. Not so for things. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. Wow. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host uh-huh. for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions. That, that's what happens when your uh, control panel uh, is underneath your thing. But anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting because <laughs> it's really important. Oh, no, no. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so basically what it is is that we we have found, and we have other um, works, is that you have two choices. When you get your patents and you want to protect them, it costs astronomical amounts of money to do this, especially when you're going up against large companies. They have all of the resources to fight you until you are pretty much out of business. And that happens all over. I've I've seen it so many times where people have come up with absolutely fantastic ideas, but these big companies who have the money to um, protect themselves against you, even though you're in the right, literally have put these people out of business. And, you know, small businesses, I consider, are the legs that this country stands on. 
you know, we need small businesses. We need big business. But you, we all should have the opportunity to move forward with our ideas and our companies to provide jobs for other people, to provide financial security for ourselves and our families. And this is being taken away by these large companies. And I have decided that it's time that companies like mine, small companies, who want to get out there and want to move forward need to band together and say, we just don't want to let this happen anymore. It's not fair to us. I couldn't agree with you more. I can tell you story after story over the years. So go on. Absolutely. So what's your idea? Well, um, what we're hoping to do is to alert the public because basically what happens is we we have our patents and we we get our products and we build our brands. And then someone comes along and makes a cheaper version of this what people think is the same product. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to us and say, you know, I saw your product, but it was, you know, this much cheaper. And and I we always have to explain to them, no, that's not our product. It may look like our product, but it is, and, and you know, for lack of a better word, um, a copycat and a and the quality that we put into our products is not put into those products. Most of these it's companies are looking to absolutely, and they're looking to jump in on an idea that they know is a good idea and make quick money off of it. They actually hurt our brand because their brands are inferior. And people then start associating the inferior quality product with our product. So by trying to educate the public on what is going on, and see, it's hard to tell somebody you have two products. This is a patented product, and it costs this amount of money. This is a knockoff, as you put it, and it costs let's say, half the amount of money. So the consumer isn't really looking at, okay, this is a patented product. The patents mean nothing to the consumer. They only mean something to us in as far as trying to protect it. So it's educating the public on what's going on. I'll give you an example without actually talking about specific names of products. There is a gentleman who came up with, which I thought was a brilliant idea, a new hose. And I'm sure you've seen them out there. It's a hose that, you know, expands with water and, and, contracts. and contracts, right. So, I mean, you can it literally, you can hold a 50-foot hose in, in the palm of your hand. So he came up with this brilliant idea, and he put an infomercial out there. And it's very costly. We've done it ourselves to put out an infomercial. He put out his infomercial, let it run for a short time, and the next thing I see is another telemarketing company that is a very large telemarketing company has come out with this exact same product. Now, I saw this gentleman's commercial one or two times. I saw. I then saw 
the knockoff commercial come out over and over and over and over and over again. Now, the prices of these were substantially different. But the issue is, is that this gentleman who put all of his time, money, and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into getting this product, then redid his infomercial and put up there, I have the patent for this. Why? Because and I, being in, in that type of position, understand that he couldn't go after this company because this company would bankrupt him. Even though he was in the right, this company could bankrupt his company for the simple fact that they have the resources to constantly keep it going and going and going until this man has ex expelled everything that he could put into it. So I saw that his commercial then came out showing that he was a patented product and showing his patents. But unfortunately, as I explained before, that does not really mean anything to the public. To me, it means something. I will buy a product that I know is a patented product, even if the one sitting next to it on the shelf looks exactly the same and is half the price because I know what it took to get that patented product on that shelf. It is very hard. These big companies have all the access to all of the what we call brick and mortar, which is all of your retail outlets. They're already established with a multi-million dollars worth of other products. So if they say they have a, you know, a better pen than, you know, somebody else, somebody who's been trying and has an excellent new pen that is 10 times better than that pen will not get the opportunity to get in front of that retailer because they don't have that same clout that these big companies do. But the issue really is the, the copying of another's product. And I... I found this out personally when the very first time that it happened to me, it happened after showing it to a very, very, very large prominent president and vice president of a hair company that signed an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, which is an agreement between you and another company that this company will not take your idea and recreate it. And I found out that this gentleman who was the VP of the company left that company, went to another company that I had been working with, which is a even larger brand company, and they are now selling my product with a celebrity endorsement. Yes. Uh, and uh, Continue. It's all yours. Yeah, no, and, and these are the kind of things, like I said, that you know we want to educate the, the public on that – it's it's very hard when you are an inventor and an entrepreneur and coming out with a new product to get your investors, you know, usually people go to family and friends first, they look for an angel investor. Um, you know, it's it's not as easy when things need to be manufactured. It's kind of a different scenario when it's a technical technological um, product that is, say, not a tangible product, something that's uh, internet-based or, you know, like, let's 
for an example, an app. Um, it still costs a lot of money to have that app built. And most of the time they come out free and they're looking for someone to come in and invest in, into that app um, while they're giving it away. So they're still investing a lot of money, but it's not actually a tangible product that somebody is ordering. In that case, which is in my case, you then have to line up manufacturers. You have and in my case, I have 85 SKUs. So imagine how much inventory we have to carry and what our costs are above what we're paying our attorneys. And it, it's a funny thing. I, I have my attorney who I, I have to say is a wonderful, wonderful guy, great patent attorney. I would recommend him to anyone um, and worked with him for many years. But he said something to me one time, and he said, you know, Michelle, you just remember, you're you're being protected. Everything you're doing is to protect your idea. And I I understand what he's saying, and that's wonderful if I was a large company. But he said to me, just think of it this way. Um, imitation is the best form of flattery. Well, in a lot of cases, that may be true. But when it comes to stealing someone's idea, that to me is a crime. It's not flattery in, in any form. It is taking something that has taken me a long time, a lot of money, and a lot of hard work to bring to market, to build a brand, for someone else to walk in and just say, you know what, let them come after me, you know, because we have all the resources. So how do you fight that? You fight that by coming out to the public and saying, look, you know, we as entrepreneurs and inventors, you, you may be the next person. My idea came from out of necessity, literally, sitting at my kitchen table and for me, I showed it to some people. I showed it to my business partner who became my financial backer. And she was like, we've got to get this out there. This is such a great idea. Um, I had salon owners actually coming to me and asking me to make them one. They loved it so much. And I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do this. And it's taken 11 years to get to where I am. But where I am is now pretty much going up against large companies because now my product is out there under so many different names and now there's a company out there that has um, a celebrity endorsing it and doing infomercials. There's another company that just came out with this, this same design um, using another um, celebrity for, for um, their product and it's you know, it, as it comes out, people then start to push ours behind because they're seeing all these celebrities and not realizing that ours is so much of a different product and the quality that we put into this. And I know this because of the reviews that my product gets compared to reviews that their product gets. And so building a brand is really hard. And we're now coming out with another product and we're going to be doing a Kickstarter campaign. And this new product is going to be a 
um, it's a home tanning spray tanning system, but it's the first of its kind. No other um, home tanning system that is completely hands-free and completely self-contained and requires no electricity. Now, everything about our design is completely unique. We know we're going to get ripped off, but what are we doing? We are coming out with our idea. Instead of going after, we, we filed for initial utility patents, but instead of dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars the way we did the first time, we want to use um, first to market and bring our product out there and establish our brand and establish ourselves in people's minds because we know no matter what we do and no matter how many patents we get on this, there's going to be people right and left, and you will see them coming out with a product that is it's it's kind of discouraging um as go ahead no no i'm sorry i keep stepping on you i was going to say oh no 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 <laughs> no um uh our next guest is justin Esgard. he's an entrepreneur and uh, an author of a new book appetite i love this title appetite appetize on your idea, bringing any idea to fruition. And uh, I'm going to bring him in, because, and I want you to stay on the line, and we're going to talk a little sure. further about this. Okay? Mm-hmm. Justin, are you with us? I'm here, Don. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Justin, um, I know you came on. Uh, have you heard what Michelle Elizabeth is, is talking about? How uh, You know, I caught on just the... I caught on just oh, the end what? where she was coming up with an idea and talking a little bit about her patents and such. No, and what her problem is that people are ripping her off. Right. And uh, and she wants to do something about it. Now, you're an entrepreneur, and you want to talk about how to bring an idea to fruition. But can I put, can I kind of expand this discussion a little bit and have you um, chime in? Um, sure. Sure. Uh, uh, Elizabeth, can you summarize? Uh, you've been in business 11 years. You have uh, had a hair product um, that people are now. Um, uh, you have the patents on it. You have uh, over 30 patents, and yet people are going out there and um, uh, underselling you and going into places. Now you have a new idea, and. Uh, uh, I think part of what you have to do is kind of come out there with the branding. Um, is that a good summation of what's going on, uh, Michelle? Yes. Um, what we what we plan on doing is is bringing more brand awareness to our new product and being first to market. Um, it, using our funds more wisely this time. Um, as I said, um, doing our advertising and getting it out there because we inevitably know that this idea is going to be immediately jumped upon by the larger companies. Well, uh, Justin, do you, um, what do you think of that? And uh, I, know, I know it's uh, jumping in, but uh, uh, 
uh, Michelle uh, uh, Elizabeth is really angry about it, and she wants to educate people uh, not only about her product but how big companies uh, rip people off, small businesses. Uh, you, you want to talk some your thoughts? Sure. I mean, Michelle, you're clearly in the right to be angry. If you if you created this product and people are ripping you off, obviously you're in the right mindset. And with your new product, you're already using the right terminology. Now, I'm not a Pat Meyer, and I do like mine. I'm sure you like yours, but you're already using terminology like first to market, which is the new patent law. So you're already on board with that, which is great. Uh, the new law that just changed says the first person to market, even if you apply the patent. Afterwards, if you are the first person to start selling it publicly and you can prove that, you are then first in line for the patent for anyone who, who doesn't understand the law change. For your prior product, if you have the patent on it and people are, are ripping you off, you know, you have to make a, a, a business decision. The decision is, do I spend the money on my lawyer and go after these people for rights and damages and, and such, or do I suck it up and create a better product or have better marketing or whatever? I, I don't know... Uh, the business. I'm not into hair extensions uh, as I'm a 35-year-old male. And you have to just make that decision. If, if you think that there's enough people and that it's really doing damage to your business, you should consider going after them and and seeing what happens. But if it's, if it's not that damaging or you think your product is better, maybe it is a, a pivot that you need to do and change how you're doing your branding and your marketing that way you can draw people back to your product. But for the newer product, the first to file, the, the first to uh, market, I mean, that's definitely the way to go. Right. Well, not... um, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I was just going to answer him. Um, because you didn't hear my, my earlier um, discussion, I'll just back up for you. Okay. We had, you know, we've I've spoken to attorneys. The problem with going after these companies, oh, there is a huge uh, damaging effect to my company. We right. have celebrity endorsers from these other companies. They are large hair companies who are making a lot of money off of off of the design elements of my product, and it's causing um, damage to my brand because. People are associating the cheaper version with mine. The the huge costs behind what it takes to go after these companies is what prohibits me and other small businesses from doing something like that because on contingency, which I didn't bring up because I have spoken to lawyers. And I had a, um, a law firm who was willing to work on a con – contingency still required such a an astronomical amount of money and and you know um you you have to then do discovery and you have to have expert analysis and you have to have travel and there are just so many things that would take too long to even discuss right. um that what happens is it becomes prohibitive to someone like me who has already spent over $300,000 in lawyers' fees and patent fees, um, and not to mention the fact that you have to continually pay 
four-year patents every year in every country that you have them in. So, um, you know, these kind of things, and these large companies will keep you in so deep into the courts that they will put you into bankruptcy before you will ever see the light of day. And that's what I'm saying earlier. Like, it's the, it's all about a business decision. Now, I, I've never had a challenge anyone on this level, and I've, I've had, you know, obviously my fair share of lawsuits or whatever it is. And my take on it is, look, you've done your you've done your homework and you've done your research, and you know it it sucks. But the other side of it is, if you if you do win, right, there's going to be a, a glorious end to this. On top of which, you can leverage the whole storyline here as part of your brand now. And I'm not saying you should do this. I don't know all the details, so and, and don't you know take this wholeheartedly. But you can then start a the big guys are going after the little guys campaign and do and use the branding how they're holding you holding you almost hostage that you can't win this argument or whatever it is and then get all of your supporters and the people who buy your product to not back you financially but back you morally and 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 spiritually and use that as a way to bring it out and and then they'll start talking about your product and be like oh did you see this this hair extension products going going against the big guys and here's why and stuff like that and it becomes a marketing thing and then now you're getting sales because of it like there's there's other components to just like we're going to sue them but again it's your own business decision i don't know enough about your business to tell well, you which way to exactly go but what we're yeah. doing now right yeah. what what we're doing at, what we're doing at this time is it, that's what we're doing is we're we're bringing it to the public um we're we're bringing it out there to other inventors and other entrepreneurs to understand, you know, look, we need to stand together and, you know, be allowed to have our businesses grow. You know, we need large corporations, but we need small ones too. I mean, this country is built on small business. And, you know, we need to stand together on things like that. And that's my stance. That's why that's really the reason why I came here this evening. Well, Michelle, um, I'm going to you you do know that there are um uh venture funds that actually if you have a good case and I know I happen to know of one um uh, that will fund your um your legal battle. Are you aware of that? Um, well, like I said, I have spoken to other attorneys who have discussed no, no, no. contingencies, but yeah. No, no, so. no. These are these are not attorneys. Well, they have attorneys on their staff. I happen to know of a, a of a small publisher who's actually fighting one of the one of the largest corporations in the world because uh, they ripped him off. Um, I can't go into details. But if you email me, I will um, put you in touch w with them. So there are companies, there are funds out there that fund battles exactly like you're f fighting. And it seems to me... Well, if you I'll have take you path, up on that offer. Uh, oh, uh, uh, believe me, I, I want to help you. Um, uh, you're on this program because, you, as you say, take a stand against the big companies. Um well, why don't you stay on um, while okay. we talk 
uh, with Justin, and we also have um, talk about the issue of uh, uh, sick days. We we have uh, Bill per uh, Perkins, uh, an attorney, but uh, we want to give Justin a, a few minutes to talk about his book. How do you pronounce that first word? It's capitalized, Cap kind of like capitalized, Capital but without the C. Capitalize. I should have asked you before credit. this. Yeah, it's uh, okay. I, it's a great. It's a great title. Thank you. Because it sure stops you from when you say it and say, "Uh oh." So, tell us what uh, how you can bring an idea to fruition. Sure. So that whole capitalized concept is how to take any idea and make it a reality. And I the book. And my blog and everything that goes with it are the stepping stones to make it happen. Now, I use apps as a platform, but you could use almost anything. And it's all about certain steps. So the first is coming up with the idea, which is the shortest but yet the hardest lesson. Getting yourself protected with a lawyer. And then using a lot of outsourcing. Uh, I own a software development company, but I don't know how to code. So I outsource all of our programming. And our apps are some of the biggest apps that are out there. Our big one, Sign My Pad, has been written up by in law journals, real estate journals. Apple themselves have written about us in the how to use iPads for business. They're Sign My Pad. Our new app, Good Night, which is an app to help parents monitor if their kids are on their phone when they're supposed to be sleeping, is getting a lot of traction as well. And we use outsourcing to get all of that done. We outsource the programming. We outsource the graphics. I pretty much project managed, project managed the whole thing, and now we have these successful products that are out there. And that's what it's about. And then you've got to support it afterwards and do some marketing and social media and having a blog. But all the steps are laid out for you in the book. Well, that's something. Um, uh, I, I'm of an older generation, and, and apps absolutely confuse me. Um, uh, so I, I have to get your book. Uh, uh, if nothing else, just to, uh, to learn. It's the first book I've run across that that really talks about. Uh, apps seems to be the, the way of making in, instant millions, judging by the people I've been talking to over the last year. But uh, uh, give us two or three ideas. You, you, you've given one. You outsource, you product manage. You go, should you start a budget for it? And how do you create a budget for such a, uh, um, an approach? Great. It's a great question. What I like to do is when, I'm coming, when I talk to people who want to come to me and say, I have an idea for a thing, I always basically say the same thing. Your budget is how much money can you put on your front lawn and light on fire so it doesn't affect your daily living. Because essentially, you're taking a gamble whenever you come up with an idea, right? You don't know if your idea is going to be uh, an instant hit and you're going to make millions of dollars, or it may end up being a flop even though you've done your market validation. So I always put into this term so people understand is, can you take $5,000 out of your bank account, literally light it on fire and still be okay? Great. Your budget is $5,000. Can you do it with $15,000? Great. Your budget is $15,000. And that's how you establish what your budget could be for the project. Now, should it be every last penny? No. Uh, with outsourcing, 
using one of the techniques is to find the right people to do the job. And while outsourcing has a bad clause attached to it because people think outsourcing is taking away jobs from Americans and such like that, that's not necessarily true. My graphic designer is here in the States. One of my programmers is here in the States. But yes, I do do a lot of programming overseas because it's cheaper there, which allows me to fit within my budget. And that's how we can get them made. It's interesting you say that because across my desk uh, today came a, a, a email talking about how, how to find cheap app, uh, app developers. Um, uh, I, I saw it and I, uh, I didn't have time to explore it, but I intend to over the next week. But I did ask them. Well, I can give you the answer if you want. <laughs> Go ahead. There's a lot of sites out there that I tell people to use to look for programmers. One is guru.com, G-U-R-U.com. Another is Odesk, so that's O-D-E-S-K. And the last is air-pair.com, A-I-R-P-A-I-R.com. So there's three beginning resources for where you can go and you can post a job and freelancers, i.e. outsourced programmers, will bid on your product, will bid on your project. And you can then vet them appropriately and decide who's going to be awarded your project. And that's an easy way to do it. You just go on one of these sites. You type in what you're going to make, what you want to do. Be, I always say be kind of vague in the beginning until you lock it down with somebody. Let them bid. Look at their reviews online. Pick who you want. Vet them. Talk to them. Don't just pick anybody blindly. Get a sense of who they are. Make sure that you have a good gut feeling about them. And then tell them the details and let them make your product for you. And that's exactly what we did with Sign My Pad. Sign My Pad was an idea I had. I went on guru.com. I posted, I want to make an app with how to modify PDFs. And $2,300 later, I had my first app made. And I was able to put it up in the store. And within a couple of days, I got phone calls from some major corporations because they were like, we need to sign a lot of documents. How does this work? And they got to know about the app. And we got a lot of traction because of the app, you know, content. Now, this is back in 2010, but the rules still are still apply. You can still just go to these sites, post your project, get something made. Uh, will you repeat the sites again for our audience? Sure. Uh, the three that I like are guru.com, G-U-R-U.com, Odesk, so that's the letter O, D-E-S-K.com, and Airpair, A-I-R com. Wow. Um, M- Michelle, I'm gonna, uh, how did you go about establishing your first budget, and how do you do it now? Uh, well, actually, the way we did it was um, I had a financial backer, and I was very lucky that they, my financial backer had some deep pockets. So for me, I I was able to move forward in ways that I would never have been able to have done with without having that financial backing. So. Well, uh, if people want to reach you and your product, how do they do it, Michelle? Uh, well, we're on Facebook, and you can get us at our website, which is www.effortlessextensions.com. And that's E F F O R T L E S S 
E-X-T-E-N-S-I-O-N-S dot com. And uh, Justin, if people wanted to reach you, uh, how do they do it? Sure. So uh, you can go to the website, which has all the basic information. So that's capitalize on your idea.com, A-P-P-I-T-A-L-I-Z-E on your idea.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Justin Escar uh, or email me, Justin at JustinEscar.com. Well, Justin, repeat it. I stepped on your, your line. Repeat your website again. Sure. Capitalize on your idea.com. A P P I T A L I Z E on your idea.com. Well, would you mind? You, you can, you're welcome to stay on and uh, 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 listen in and uh, chime in because uh, I, uh, Bill William Perkins is on. He's an attorney with Safer Forth and Shaw. That's S E Y F O R T F A R T H Shaw, and we're going to discuss um, uh, the president's uh, idea that uh, we should pay uh, for sick sick days for, uh, for employees, and making it a universal. Uh, it varies by state. I'll, I won't step on his lines, um, but. Uh, uh, I, I, I really welcome you to stay on and uh, uh, chime in uh, at, at any time. And I'd love for you to stay on to the end when we sum up. But uh, William Perkins, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Uh, Bill Perkins works for me. I really appreciate your uh, inviting me on to the show. Well, uh, we appreciate you're here because... Uh, um, the president has proposed that five sick days for employees, um, and uh, I saw an analysis, I think it's your analysis, that uh, it will affect small businesses most severely uh, because the policies uh, generally, I think it's only 17% of small businesses have a sick day policy. So, But before we do go into it, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a, a partner at Seifarth Shaw. Um, my practice is providing advice and counsel. Uh, my clients are in-house lawyers, HR departments, and business owners. Um, I provide solutions to all employment law issues that are faced by the clients. Um, I, Prior to being at, at Seifarth Shaw, I was a partner at two other uh major law firms in New York and worked in-house two corporations and prior to going to law school ran several HR departments. Um, so it, it's been sort of a nice run and uh, I work in the New York office of Seifar Shaw, which is a national law okay. firm. So, all right. So t uh, the, uh, the floor is yours. Tell oh, us thank about you. the plan and and why why this is a bad idea for small business? <laughs> well, you know, actually the federal government came a little bit late to the party uh, with regard to this uh, paid sick leave idea. Um, it, in Starting way back in 2007, San Francisco, uh, which was the first place that came up with the idea, um, 
passed a law, a, a municipal ordinance, that required all employers in San Francisco to offer sick leave um, to their employees. Um, the we now have about 21 paid sick leave laws in the United States. Currently, we have three states, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and California, and the District of Columbia that have laws. And then the rest of the 21 are made up of municipalities. Um, uh, people in New Jersey will be happy to know right now they're winning the, uh, the, the, the race of who can have the most municipal uh, laws, and they have eight. Uh, New Jersey, as a state, is slowly but surely getting close to perhaps passing a law, but uh, at this point, Governor Christie is uh, continuing to resist. The federal law, um, which is you know what we were going to talk about, um, it is a is a law that actually provides 56 hours or seven days worth of paid sick leave. Um, what is sort of hard about the law is that the threshold for coverage is only 15 employees. Um, and the the other interesting aspect about the law is that it will not preempt any of these state or city laws I've just talked about, which means that if you're unlucky enough to be in a city or state that has one of these laws and this federal law is passed, you wind up having to deal with both laws. And the way that the federal law is structured, it's much like the, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is the law that is the wage and hour law, federal wage and hour law. And um, that law, uh, you know, because each of the states have wage and hour laws, the way it's structured is that whichever is the most generous law for the employee is the law that uh, predominates when there is a, uh, a question of, of wage and hour law. Uh, and like that, this sick leave law will provide whichever is the most generous benefit or administrative requirements as it relates to the employee. Um, and, and some of the things that, that this law covers are things that, that, you know, until recently, this was all within the province of, of, of employers. Employers could determine how many days they provided sick leave, uh, what the rules were, whether you had to call in ahead of time, whether they, you could not have your mother call in or your girlfriend call in, um, whether you had to call in yourself, whether you had to talk to your boss, um, whether they were going to pay you. This law basically establishes requirements that, that take all those controls away from employers. Uh, there's very, uh, uh, I, I think, very strict retaliation provisions in the law that says that if, if you refuse to pay someone sick leave because you think they're dogging it, um, they can, can bring an action against you. And what is very scary about this law is that it provides a private right of action. What that means is that if you deny your employee a sick day, they can bring a lawsuit in federal court against you. 
And what is even worse is that the law provides for collective actions. So that is, if, if this employer has refused to pay sick leave for more than one employee, you have, in effect, a class action that you're now defending. And but it, um, it, it's pretty scary. But it, it's a proposed law. It is not law yes, yet. Yes, it Am is. Am I correct? It, was, it, it is. It, it has not... It, it was proposed in 2013 and has been sitting idle uh, since then. This was part of uh, the President's uh, State of the Union address where he did mention that this is called on Congress to pass this law. Um, and, you know, it, at this point, the, the novelty of the law is starting to wear off. We have... 21 laws around the country in just about most geographic areas of the country, but mostly centered on the uh, east and west coast. Um, but these other municipal laws are taking hold because um, lawmakers are just getting tired of the fact that Congress is not passing for addressing these kinds of laws. Um, you know, the when you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistic um, uh, survey, and this is where I think we, we get into issues with regard to small businesses, is that that 72% um, of employees in medium and large businesses already have sick pay provisions provided for them. Only 52% of workers in small establishments, and small establishments are uh, under 100 employees. Only 52% have have coverage. So, um, you know, it's the small establishment that is going to be hit the hardest because, you know, for 48% of those companies, they will have to produce uh, and pay uh, sick leave pay that they have not done in the past. The, the the other issue in terms of who gets this paid sick leave is that you know seventy four percent of full time employees get paid sick leave but only twenty four percent and so you know it would it, it sort of this federal law it, it will significantly affect small business because you know forty eight percent currently do not provide for sick pay and and also the the beneficiaries of this law in many respects will be part-time workers who are, you know, not working full-time for some reason, you know, uh, that, that may satisfy them. Well, my understanding, and I did a little research for this program, um, is that the chances of Congress in that, if the Democratic Party couldn't enact it when they controlled the, the Congress, right. Uh, what are the chances that the Republican-controlled House and Senate would pass such a bill, particularly as it was proposed by President Obama? I, I think it's probably not a great uh, great chances of being passed, but the the problem that this law creates is it it does, in many respects, track some of the state and city laws and provides a, a very nice blueprint for municipalities to just take off the shelf and adopt. 
what's happened over this last uh, election period is that that there were seven um, seven laws that went into effect that were voted on by uh, the electorate, and you know, who uh, really wanted these laws. I mean, given the opportunity to vote for the law, I think that that the populace will vote for the law. Um, and you know, where where there's that opportunity, I think these laws stand a pretty good um, uh, pretty good chance. Um, but you know, we went from five laws, five five places that had laws in in the beginning of 2014 up to 21 uh, jurisdictions that now have these laws. So this is, you know, this is sort of a, a Me Too or uh, uh, municipal vigil vigilanteism, if you will, in terms of passing these kinds of laws. They're, they're very popular at the municipal level. Philadelphia, you know, but, you know, the mayor of Philadelphia who's, Twice rejected this law is now starting to think about it. So it, it it's one of these things. Even if the federal law is not passed, it's probable that we're going to have um, more state action. There's there are um, 17 states that have pending legislation on sick pay. Uh, yet yet people. Uh, I think in France, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're, uh, you're uh, given up to 30 days sick leave. Um, you know, there are various countries that have put this into effect. Um, yes. Uh, and um, it, it kind of uh, uh, gives almost a carte blanche for someone to... Uh, uh, call in whenever they want and say I'm sick. I mean, we we see the comics all the time. Well, you know, frequently talking, uh, making a joke about uh, sick pay, uh, sick day that uh, fellow goes out to the golf course, etc. Um, uh, what really struck me when I uh, saw the mention of this in your name was the fact that it so affects small business. Um, who, who, in my experience, are generally, uh, since they're much closer to their workforce, uh, tend to uh, be much more um, uh, lenient than one would think uh, in this. Well, you know, one one of the other problems with some of these city laws is that if you fall below whatever threshold they have for paid leave, which tends to sort of average around... 10 or 15 employees, but if you fall below that, some of these laws require unpaid leave with the same administrative um, handcuffs where you cannot ask about, you know, why you were out or produce a doctor's note unless the person's been absent for three consecutive days. It, it's, it's hard, I think, on small businesses to lose somebody for three days. And it could be harder to have to pay for three days um, without, you know, even getting any proof that the person was really sick. Um, I have a uh, question. Would you? Would that be okay? Of course. <laughs> sure. um, listening, listening to what you're saying, um, I have a friend whose company doesn't pay sick days. What they have are personal days. 
Now, how does that affect a company who isn't doing days but calling them personal days? Yeah. Uh, all these laws tend to uh, pro- have a provision that if you have PTO, paid time off, you know, if personal days can be used for sickness, that, that those days count. And if you provide more days or the same number of days as the law requires, you're not going to have to pay more based on this legislation. What What is different, however, is that these laws have these requirements for how you administer the days and what you can do and what you can't do in terms of questions for the employees. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a really scary proposition for small business. Um, mm-hmm. You scared me even more, uh, Bill, with your explanation. <laughs> uh, Justin, you advocate outsourcing a lot. Does this encourage the outsourcing? Does it encourage it? Uh, possibly. You know, as someone who doesn't have any employees, I would say that this affects me in any way, shape, or form. So usually if I'm outsourcing and I have a programmer and he tells me he's sick, he's sick. But I usually do project-based things. So I get my product no matter how much I pay or how long it takes. You know, the, the one thing that's scary is that the California law, the, the threshold for coverage is one employee. Right. Really? Um, in, in case of, you know, in the case of my company, what we do is um, we have them do 1099s. They're, um, they're contracting. So we have, they don't technically work for us, but they're, but they do. It's kind of like an outsourcing, but they, they actually do work, but they do it as a, a general contractor. One of the, just on that subject, one of the things that that people have to be very careful about in terms of independent contractors is that the federal and all states have heightened scrutiny with regard to that classification. Um, They seem to think that they lose tax revenue when companies use independent contractors and work their hardest to try to establish that independent contractors are employees. The state of New Jersey just clarified the test for independent contractors, and they have reverted to what's known as the ABC test, which is the state's unemployment test. It is the hardest test for an employer to prove that the individual is not an employee. So, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. And um, what happens if you do have misclassified uh, independent contractors is that you can find yourself dealing with back taxes, fees, and assessments. Mm-hmm. Well, with ours, it's because they most of them are um, people who sell our product sure. outside, you know, so I, I, I'm, from what well, we understand, we don't fall in, fall under that, so. Right. Yeah, I, it's just a thing that I, I will tell you that that a lot of companies have have not followed the rules, and and you know they're they're in the crosshairs of either the federal or the state Department of Labor. 
you know Bill? Uh, can I call you Bill? Please, please. Um, you know, my sister-in-law suffered um, a relapse of cancer, and what her company did for her, um, and then she she lost uh, most of her tongue, and they uh, they gave her three months off with pay. Um, they uh, created a job for her so she wouldn't have to talk. And they did so many other things that I, I, I was just astonished. And, um, and, and they were only uh, uh, 26 employees. And I just, mm. uh, you know, and I've heard so many cases of that. A smaller yeah. company can do more. But that doesn't count against anything anymore, does it? No, because, you know, even though you've done all that, if you, you know, one of these laws is in effect, if you don't dot all your I's and cross your T's, you have a problem. Okay. Bill, how, if people wanted to reach you or your company, how did they do it? Sure. Um, my email address is wperkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S, at Seifarth, that's the hard part, it's S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H dot com. Uh, my phone number in New York is 212-218-4642. Uh, Justin? How do people reach you? Because uh, I'm going to go out and buy your book. <laughs> yeah, so my book's on Amazon. You can just search my name on Amazon, Justin Esgar, E-S-G-A-R. I'm on Twitter, at Justin Esgar. My email address is justin at justinesgar.com. Or the website, com, And join the LinkedIn group. And Michelle, how do people reach you? Well, um, I'm also on LinkedIn, and I have a Twitter account, which is Michelle underscore Elizabeth, and I have a Facebook account, and yeah, we're pretty much, we do a lot of the social media, so catch me anywhere there. Well, I want to thank the three of you for um, a very interesting show. We brought a lot of problems and two problems and one solution tonight. I really appreciate uh, uh, that you came and you talked and that you stayed on. Uh, and uh, I, I wish you good luck. And uh, uh, please, I want all of you to come back sometime later this year and we'll talk some more. That'd be great. Thank you, Don. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Don. Thank you for having us. Have a good day. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can 
subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.